Hi, my name is Sarah Rachel Brown. I'm a 30-something-year-old woman, and I live in Philadelphia. I'm a contemporary jeweler. And like many others, I am an artist trying to make a living. On this podcast, I'm going to broach the subject of value. I'll be talking to studio artists and performers, educators and administrators, and anyone else attempting to combine their creative endeavors with how they get a paycheck. Have you heard of the 1,000 true fans theory? Kevin Kelly, founding editor of Wired Magazine, put forth this idea in an essay he wrote back in 2008. It proposes that all an artist needs is 1,000 true fans to maintain a fruitful career. Think the type of fans who will travel across the country to see a show, stand in line or camp out for those tickets, and spend another couple hundred bucks on merch. That kind of true fan. A thousand doesn't seem like an unattainable number, but to begin, I'm setting my goal at 100. Listeners, help me reach 100 patrons on Proceed Values Patreon during season five of the podcast. Patreon is a membership platform that connects content creators with fans, hopefully true fans. Membership tiers begin at just $1 per month, and in return, you get bonus episodes and some perks. I recently updated the terms of my membership and added merch. So please check out the link in the description of this podcast and become my patron. Thank you to Jonathan and Alexi for becoming my newest patrons. With you, my current tally is 35. According to our pal Kev, that's only 965 true fans away from my fruitful podcasting career. If you don't have a buck to spare, no problem. Support the rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts in particular helps others find the show and attract potential sponsors. Find me on social media at Sarah Rachel Brown and find the podcast at Proceed Value. I don't have a college degree, and at this point in my life, I really do not care. But lately, I've been daydreaming about two things, a trip to Portugal and pursuing a business degree, more specifically, an MBA. I recently turned 37, and I want to put a disclaimer on this comment that I know better, but I can't deny that I keep thinking it's too late to get an MBA that I'm too old, or that once again, changing my career trajectory will put me even further behind in life than I already feel. But then there's this other part of me that absolutely cherishes the non-traditional path I've taken in my own time. And I sure hope there are many transitions in my professional life still to come. My past experiences have taught me that I am much better suited for learning through experience over a classroom. Plus, my bank account agrees. So maybe not an MBA. But then how do I gain this knowledge of business administration through practical experience? And not just any experience. I want experience that creates deeper connections to the communities I hold so dear. I was talking this through with my friend Aaron, and he brought up serving on a board, which I've never even considered because, well, my perception of boards kind of comes through movies and television where, you know, it's this wealthy older woman who serves on a, you know, a multitude of boards and her husband is this like hotshot executive or that you have to make this huge donation to be able to even serve on a board or certainly be somebody with experience in executive roles, right? Am I alone in this? Today's guest is someone who is currently serving on the board for the American Craft Council. Through a chance encounter at an event, I was introduced. And when Tom Lozier shared of his position on the board, I spoke up on those perceptions of what that means to me. Tom, I appreciate your patience with my naiveness that evening. Since we recorded, I now have a greater understanding of what it means to serve on a board, or even what a board is and how it functions. But most importantly, I have gained a great deal of confidence that I can do it. And for those interested in serving on a board or adding valuable experience to your resume, this is a conversation for you. 
So please welcome today's guest, woodworker, educator, board member, Tom Lozier. All the things I want to ask you. Yeah. Um, and this guy, this interview is going to be really fun because I have so many preconceived thoughts about what a board is, but those mostly come from uh, movies and television um, and word of mouth. So right. it'll be it'll be kind of nice to like break that down and really get an understanding of uh, what someone like you does on a board. Right. Um, Okay, Tom. So will you please introduce yourself to listeners, um, your pronouns, your name, and what it is that you do? Uh, hi, hi, I'm uh, Tom Lothar. I'm a, a primarily a furniture artist, and um, um, I go by conventional old-fashioned pronouns. <laughs> and um, I live in Madison, Wisconsin. I have a woodworking shop here. And um, I try to exhibit my work as much as possible. And I am, um, I retired from teaching at the University of Wisconsin-Madison two years ago. Yeah. When I was looking over your resume, I saw that. Congratulations. Thank Um, you. It was a very easy transition. It overlapped with COVID. So it's a little hard to tell what of my experience at the moment is the result of COVID and what's the result of being retired. But I was just very lucky. I timed it so that I never, just out of luck, I timed it so I never had to try to teach woodworking on Zoom. Oh, so like COVID didn't push you into retirement. You already no, I had to already, do it. I had already planned to retire. Yeah. I just got Dang. lucky. Yeah, that is some luck. How long did you hold that position? Um, I came to Madison in 1991. So I taught really for 30, 30 years here. Whoa. Okay. So you're like old school tenure track, what everybody dreams of having. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're living the dream now. That's exciting. <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> I mean, I personally don't think I'd have any trouble transitioning into retirement, but has there been anything that you're like, are you bored, Tom? I am not at all bored. Nope, not in the least bit. Um, I have my my shop and um, we might get into some some of that. But um, I uh, no, I'm not at all at all bored. I think what you know, what I miss the most is probably the day to day interaction with interesting and dynamic and exciting, thoughtful students and colleagues. Yeah, I could see that. And so when I met you, I mean, you were living, we were having a very glamorous evening when I met you um, at the Renwick. And congratulations on that, by the way, being in that show. That was really fun. Yeah, I mean, I think this we're doing this podcast because we just had a really interesting conversation. We didn't know each other. and We just met. We were leaning like on the railing, right? And oh, yeah. We, and we just had a really interesting conversation and it kind of quickly moved towards talking about, uh, about boards. I don't even know how we ended up talking about boards, but you were very curious about it. And so I told you a little bit about my experience. And then you kind of conceived this idea of doing an episode where we focused on my board experience and how it might be relevant. Yeah. Well, that's because, I mean, true to myself, Susie Gaunch, you were talking to Susie Gaunch. Oh, and okay. I, yeah. And I did the polite interruption thing that you have to do at those parties because everybody's yeah. talking to everybody. Um, but when you asked me about perceived value, I was like, oh, well, for example, yeah, blah, 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 blah. If you're a board member, I'd ask you, so how's that like? Right. Um, so we're going to talk today. You have a prolific career. You've taught for 30 years. You've exhibited work. We met because you were in a show at the Renwick, which is also a big deal. But we're going to put all that to a side. Because I wanted to talk about one very specific aspect of your experience, and that has been working on boards, Um, which for me, as somebody who is trying to transition my career in a way, I'm, I'm basically ready to kind of, I don't know if leveling up is the right way to call it, but I do want to like, um, expand my experience because I have certain career goals that I feel like I need more experience to get to, and it doesn't equate to going back to school. So I've thought a lot about serving on a board to get that experience or those skill sets. Um, can you please share the first time that you, so you're on a board right now, correct? Yeah, I think the conversation is going to be based essentially on two experiences I have. I served for nine years on the Haystack School 
um, Haystack Mountain School Board uh, from mm -hmm. 1988 to 1997, so fairly early in my career. And that was yeah. a really eye-opening experience for me. And then more recently, I've joined the board of the American Craft Council. I believe I started in 2019. And so those are my two experiences. I'm not a board expert, and I think I want to qualify. <laughs> I want to make issue a couple of you know qualifications here. One is these are nonprofit boards. We're not talking about corporate boards. These are right. nonprofits that I joined the boards because I believed in the organization. And I also that I'm not at all an expert on boards, and I'm sure I'll say some things which are legally or technically inaccurate, but they're sort of based on my perceptions and my my experiences. Yeah, we need that big disclaimer. I even put that. And I did some like research because I mean, the whole point of this conversation is that I I don't know. And I don't think that you're an expert either, but you're doing it. And so I want to talk to you. Yeah. I, also, when I was looking at, okay, so I have a little notes here. So all the names that boards can be called, because when I was Googling, I Googled, what is a board? And then it's like board of trustees, board of directors, committee, management committee, governing body. Um. Let's start, since you're working on American Craft, let's just reference that as we go. Okay. What is the board called? Well, yeah, I think one thing is if you do that, if you get curious and you do that search, I think you should do the search as a, uh, what is a nonprofit board? Because I right. think it's a different animal. And um, so I think you'd get more accurate information. But my perception of what a board does is that it's a, it's a, a group it really has governing responsibility for the organization. It has hiring and firing power over the executive director of an organization, which is really important. And then it, it's an oversight um, committee that works with the executive director and the staff to make sure that the organization is, is moving towards achieving its mission statement and that it's right. following its bylaws and that it's um, doing the right things financially. And then I think maybe the thing that I'm the most interested in is the way that a board serves as a vision, a, a visionary group, looking at mm -hmm. what the organization needs to do as it moves forward. And since things are constantly changing around any organization, the board should be really um, making sure that the organization is planning and thinking in forward thinking ways. Okay. I have so many questions. This is exciting. <laughs> so there is the executive director of the American Craft Council. You have a fairly new executive director, correct? Yep. She, yep only a few. I think she's only a few weeks into her job. Ooh. So yeah. she probably, ha has she met the board then? Uh, yeah. She's met the board on group Zooms. She came to a meeting before she technically assumed, she came to an in-person meeting. So we all got to meet her. And then she's doing something which I think may be fairly common, but I think it's a really good idea. She's doing individual Zoom calls with each of the members of the board where she just has like an open forum. So I just talked to her a couple of days ago for, um, I think we had scheduled an hour. I think we probably went closer to an hour and a half. And we just talked about things and got to know each other. And I, she had really great questions. You know, She wanted to know what my main concerns were and things I was interested in and mm -hmm. frustrations and visions. And so I think that was a really good move on her part. She's working her way through all the board members. And I think she's also doing one-on-one -on -one meetings with all of her staff members. So the wow. executive director has a really tricky position where they sort of pivot in one direction and they're responsible for their staff. And yeah. then they pivot the other direction and they have to have a really productive relationship with, this, with, the, with the board of directors. Yeah, what is her name? Uh, Andrea Specht. Any respect. Okay. And the, I do love that she's having, well, of course, she. Ha I think it makes a lot of sense to me that she's having these one-on-ones with you all. Yeah. So then a um, few more questions. The board on American Craft, how many members are on it? I read somewhere that mm. you have to have at least three, which makes sense because if you're voting <laughs> on things, you have to have yeah. an odd number. Yeah. Uh, ooh, I, did, I don't know. I didn't look at that list. I would say it's... Um, 22. I'm going to say okay. 22, but I'm probably a little too high or a little too low. And it I can count it on the website. Oh, what, what is the correct amount? I mean, I don't know, but I was looking at it. I didn't have it pulled up because I didn't want to cheat too much. But yeah. if you go to the craft council, I thought it was great. I wish they had, this is going to be my one little critique here. I do wish there was photos next to oh, your names. Yeah. I don't know why. Interesting. I, mean, I think it would just, yeah. I think it's kind of nice. 
to yep. kind of get um, the visual makeup of who. Okay, so one, two, three, four. Oh, I know who Kale, um, Rachel Car- Garso is. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 board members. 19. That seems, sounds a little low. I think there's some new people coming on. Um, in the fall, I, but I'd, I'd say in the, somewhere in the low 20s, there's no way to define what the ideal number is. Um, you know, I think there's a bunch of expertises that the, mm-hmm. um, the board is trying to fill. Um, so you don't want it to be so big that it's unwieldy, but you also want to have a real diversity of, of voices and types of people and geographical representation. You know what I just realized? I didn't actually, <laughs> I didn't count the top dogs. So that was something else oh. that I was looking into where, yeah. okay, so the organization has a, the executive director, but then the board also needs leadership. Yeah. And so let me see here. You got a chair, a vice chair, a treasurer, and a secretary. So chair okay. is like your director. Okay. Um, and then who votes them? Who gets to pick those people? Uh, well, that's a good question. I <laughs> think in most cases, I think the chair is a really important role and that probably, uh, I, I'm not sure how the, I think, you know, part of it is who's willing to step up and do, there's a lot of work involved in being chair. It's a really right. big job. So it, I think part of it is who's willing to step up and do the, and do those jobs um, I right. don't think there's there isn't usually like a, a campaign and multiple people fighting for those positions. Uh, I think <laughs> when people are step up, people are really happy. Um, and so Gary's a, a San Francisco based um, lawyer and collector, and he's doing does an amazing job. Oh, he's um, a lawyer. Sort of keeping that things going. Yeah, yeah, which mm-hmm. is really helpful. Um, and the only other time I've like. It's funny how you mentioned that you didn't necessarily know, but my only way to reference this is that my grandparents were in a camping club for Coachman. And I remember my grandma really upset that she had to serve as treasurer finally. (laughs) She was like, ah, damn, I got to do it. Yeah, And then probably another relevant or unit within a board of uh, trust uh, board of directors is that there's an executive committee. So an executive committee is usually a subset of the larger group of trustees. And it would most typically be made up of those officers, chair, vice chair, secretary, treasurer. And then it would be the chairs of all the individual committees that the board has broken down into. So 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 on, on the American Craft Council board, there's a marketplace committee, a finance committee, an awards committee, and a development committee. And a committee, a committee on trustees, uh, and there is also a content and engagement committee. That's the way the American Craft Council is broken down. Haystack okay. is a different animal. Haystack has the amazing campus in Maine, and so mm-hmm. the, there was a physical plant committee, which is quite important because there's sort of an an architectural heritage that needs to be thought about and preserved. Um, but oh, that, right. that's not the case with the American Craft Council. Um, and so and that, exec- you... that executive oh, committee meets that executive committee meets more often and um, is a, a little more active. Um, and the full committee has two meetings per year, which pre-COVID um, were phys- physical. We went to St. Paul and met um, Minneapolis. We went to Minneapolis and met in Minneapolis. Of course, with COVID, we've moved more to Zoom. And in between mm-hmm. the on-site meetings, we also have periodic um, Zoom meetings just to stay in touch. So we have our executive director, then we have our staff, we have our board of trustees, and you are each referred to as trustees? Or Yeah, I think that's a, that term is interchangeable for a, bo- a board member. I mean, I use, yeah. tr- I use trustee, I, uh, but it is really a board of directors. Yeah. And then some people say directors. That was my next yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. And then those, um, then you have like your leadership within it, your chair, your vice chair, secretaries, et cetera. But then through that, you're also broken out into all these committees Yeah. and each committee has a chair. Yep. Okay. Does each committee have a vice chair? Because I think that would just nope. be kind of bonkers. Okay, nope. good. Wait. 
way too much. <laughs> um, and then, so you meet with your committees twice a year, but then the whole board itself meets how many times a year? The like whole board, the whole, that's what I was talking about. The whole board meets twice a year in person in Minneapolis. Oh, okay. Um, in the context, that's a two day meeting, two and a half, sometimes two and a half day meeting. And in the context of that meeting, we, we would have breakout committee meetings, but mostly we're all sitting around a big table with various mm -hmm. permutation, various parts of the staff there too. And the meeting is run by the executive director and the president of the board. I guess it's the chair of the board is the more, is the, the correct chair official the term. And so the chair yeah. of the board and the executive director run the meeting together. So this is where my first real world experience, not in a movie and not on a sitcom, came into play for boards because mm. I, when I lived at Penland, the board would come to Pen Penland's board would come to actual physical Penland and they would have their board meetings for a weekend. And all of us, <laughs> it was kind of funny. It was like, oh, the board's coming. So like as a core fellow, there'd be like tasks maybe that we're like cleaning up the area, making yeah. sure everything's looks spick and span. Like right. the gardeners have the fresh flowers all cut and ready to go. Like you're, everybody's like on your best behavior. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is funny. And then when I lived at Aramont as a resident artist, this had nothing to do with Aramont, but Aramont actually hosted a board meeting for the organization snag. Um, so it was kind of interesting. I, I didn't really have anything to do with them except I got to see some friends I liked, but that was also like a, it always felt like a weekend retreat kind of looked yeah. like. That's a good um, description of it. Yeah. Yeah. A retreat where you just sit in a room and talk all day. It doesn't sound yeah. that relaxing. <laughs> I think that's an interesting point. I think, you know, you ha when you go to a meeting like that and it's set up retreat style where you're in a place for two, two and a half days, I do think things happen over the two two and a half days that don't really happen in the, in the Zoom context of the meetings. You can get right. the businesses done on the business done on Zoom, but important things happen in what you might describe as the social part of the meeting, where people are yeah. just talking to each other, not while the meeting's in session. And I think that's a really important part of it. Um, I mean, I loved going up to Haystack for the board meetings and being on the Haystack campus for you know two and a half really intense days and really yeah. getting to know the board members. And and a lot of, it's like going to a conference. A lot of the important stuff happens not when you're sitting and listening to a presentation. Yeah, it's when you're having a glass of wine at the end of the night and kind of yeah. happy. So, so I don't think Zoom is a good long-term solution. It's, I think it's gonna, it, I think it, the COVID has been valuable in that it's, it's raised people's online skill sets, but I think yeah. it should be viewed as a supplement to, to the actual meetings where you develop cohesiveness and, and um, yeah. So I have two thoughts on this. Okay. Yeah. The first one that immediately I thought about is, yeah, I do feel like I'm part of a collective mm -hmm. and we really haven't seen each other much. We're based naturally based in Philadelphia, but natural in scope now. And we have always been really good at, um, how would I say this? Constructively disagreeing. Yeah. You know, sometimes when you're working in a group or I'm suing on a board, you're going to have conversations that might get heated because everybody is like two people like fervently disagree or et cetera. And so yeah. what I noticed with JV Collective, since we have since the pandemic, we really haven't all been together in one place. I've struggled because we would always have these moments where we disagree, but we're friends first. And so we'd right. come back together and it kind of ease all that tension. And right. so as you were saying that, I would see how that would be really necessary to bond outside of these conversations. Yes, um, I, I agree with that. And I would say, you know, the board should have enough of a mixture of people so that things, there is some debate and there are alternative points of view and people on the board are trying to convince you of views that you might not have held until they try to persuade you in that direction. And yeah. this is where I, I think, you know, what we're, where this conversation I hope will end up and the direction I hope we're going is that I think there's an opportunity by engaging with boards to influence the direction of the organizations through serving yeah. on the boards. And I think that's really, really important at this moment in time. I'm guessing that's yeah. the thing we're going to touch on a couple of times. Oh, absolutely, Tom, because I definitely had a few cocktails in me and like went off on a <laughs> tangent at the, Re the Renwick. So my other thought, though, because this was a big part of my initial discussion with you that night was... I was like, well, you know, I just think of board members as these like rich people 
who are able to donate a certain amount so they get to sit on a board and have pool over the decisions and direction of the board. Now, <laughs> I know your face is probably like, I, I know that's wrong, but four or five years ago, that's truly what I thought. Yeah. That you had to be super wealthy and donate a bunch of money yeah. to even be able to get on a board. Yeah. Um, so that I, also thought. Oh, we're going to. I can run with that. that. I can run with that for a minute because that's really good. That's really good that you said that. So here's the thing: the thing that is really nice on both the Haystack board and the ACC board is they are mixed boards of mm-hmm. people that, you, like you're describing, that might come from. Um, the non-art world and might be financially successful, but both organizations have something like 50% of their board members are artists. And um, that's because you need that artists need to be on the board for the visioning, you know, to represent that's, these are, these are arts organizations. And so you need that arts representation. So uh, it's true that some people are on the board because of their understanding of development or their understanding of the way the financial world works or their ability to support the organization. And at mm-hmm. both organizations, what was, I, I think that the, um, the understanding is that for artists, artists are not gonna be able to support the organization at the same level. But the way it was explained to me at Haystack is, you don't, we don't expect you to give thousands of dollars to Haystack, but as a board member, you are expected to make a contribution to the annual development appeal every year. Mm-hmm. It can be very, very modest, but it is basically a requirement for a nonprofit organization like that to have 100% participation from the board in supporting the organization. So in the beginning, when I started at Haystack, I was I think I was in my mid-30s or something, and I, I didn't have any money. And I just made very <laughs> modest contributions at that point. Yeah. And it's very important for the boards to have that 100% participation from their board to indicate to outside organizations that their board is fully supporting the direction of the organization when they're applying to outside organizations for funding. Um, and so I don't think you necessarily have to think, oh, I can't serve on a board because I can't give any money. You yeah. might you might start out giving ten or fifteen dollars a year if that's all you can afford. I was going to say, what's modest? Okay. Yeah, yeah. You'd be bringing your expertise and your differing point of view, and I think, and for both of those organiz- organizations, it's really important to have that range of viewpoints and range of economic um, wherever people yeah. are on the economic socioeconomic scale. backgrounds. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I will say, you know, I think there's a tr- there's true elements in the perception that you expressed in that development and fundraising is a key job for the board, but it, that shouldn't keep you from joining a board if you don't, because right. you don't think you have financial resources. So my other thought then, when we were talking about how the board comes collectively to meet, now, if I do sign on to a board and I am capable, so let's say... You know, I think I donated a hundred bucks to American Craft last year or something like that. So I could do that to be on the board. But then financially flying to Minnesota to yeah. attend that and taking the time off work and et cetera. Now, is that something that is on me as the board member or would the board reimburse me for that? Yeah. Um, so I'll tell you my experience at Haystack and then my experience at, on the ACC board. Tom's so, one thing I think we could just maybe would be important to say is that these are unpaid positions. So nonprofit boards, when you serve on a nonprofit board, you're volunteering. There are these are not paid positions, unlike a corporate board, which might be compensated. When I joined the Haystack board, this is kind of interesting. I came on quite young, and um, I was brought on in this category of young trustee and they had generated this category called young trustee because they wanted to get some younger people on the board and um they made it clear to me that my they would reimburse me for my expenses getting up there i lived in the boston area so it was usually driving up and so it was not too bad and i can't remember if i took advantage of that or not at at any point but um i think it was made available if you needed it on the haystack board um, but I don't think that's the case on the American Craft Council board. I think you would have to be able to get yourself to the board meeting. Um, I think it's a really good point that you raise. And I think 
you know, if somebody said, I can't afford to attend the meetings, then the staff and the board would have to address that. And I, I think the ACC board would address that to get you there as a body physically in the space. Um, but yes, I'd say generally you are responsible for the cost of getting to the meeting. And then of course, you, it's the time that you're giving up. You know, maybe that leads us towards a question that was in your outline. There's a really good question is, how do people get onto boards? And yes. if, if you were interested in being on a board, what would you do? And I've been thinking about it since I read your outline. And mm -hmm. uh, it, it, there's maybe a little bit of a structural, inherent structural problem in that it's an internal committee, a committee on trustees that um, looks for and reaches out to potential um, committee members. Right. Um, if you were a person and you looked at an organization and you said, hey, I'd like to be on that board i don't think there isn't really a like a there isn't really a link to upload your you know to apply yeah. to be on the board and so i think you would do it by looking at who's on the board and if you know somebody on the board maybe reaching out to them and just starting with an informal conversation um mm -hmm. and indicating your interest um and and working in that way and there's certainly would you know no no penalty in writing a a letter or an email to the um, executive director and the chair of the board um, and maybe yeah. the chair of the committee on trustees which all that information would be on the website but maybe there is a little bit of an inherent structural problem there and that the ideas and the not the ideas and the suggestions come from inside the board right well that is that i mean i do think that i when i did go to the website um to be able to get on a board. And we should talk more about like, I mean, like what would that even do for you? Cause right now all we've discussed is what you have to do for the board. Right. And it's like, what can the board do for you? Right. And then, you know, a big thing for me was when I mentioned, okay, you know, how do you diversify? And we get, I, there's no photos online. So I'm just going to say this and I don't know how to say it the right way. Um, if you want more BIPOC on your board, which is a way to diversify it, because diversity doesn't just mean BIPOC, it can mean different ages, backgrounds, yeah. et cetera. Um, that was something where I was like, well, if you're focused on getting more BIPOC on the committee, uh, I felt that to bring in, if you're an all white board and you're trying to bring in BIPOC to create more diversity within the board, um, that can be hard because yeah. a few BIPOC people coming yeah. into an all white board doesn't sound great. Yeah. Um, and then also if you are trying to diverse it from a, like a socioeconomic background, um, that's also where my first mind went was like, well, then you should try to have funded positions. If you're going yeah. to be asking these individuals to come in here to kind of do that work for you to diversify it. Yeah. Um, and I don't have any answers, but I do think it is, <laughs> interesting when I was like, well, how do you even get on the board? And it's a committee within the board, which we use that term gatekeepers. So it's like the committee yeah. is the gatekeepers for getting this diversity, but you're on the board already and you're yeah. not, you can't see outside your world. You yeah. just can't. Yeah. So how do we create something that's outside of the board to be able to get interest into being in the board or let people know that they could actually be on it? Cause it just seems like such an intimidating thing. Yeah. Um, and I don't have the answers, but I thought the, the conversation was important to at least have it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Really good points. I, I, really good points. I, I do think that boards of organizations like the ones we're talking about are very mm -hmm. primed and open at the more, at the moment towards increasing that increasing diversity in all ways. I mean, I would put geographical yeah. as another important component. Um, oh, right. geographical representation is quite important. Something we spend quite a bit of time talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I think, um, you know, I think it's a, I think your points are all good. And I think that people that want to, I mean, I would love to see more younger and more diverse people knocking on the doors and, you know, saying, Hey, I want to be involved. And um, I think the response would be very positive, actually. Um, yeah, like I, what if the committee put together something where they actually do a call for board members? Like uh -huh. get some marketing and, behind it. And, and like an open open call for applications. Interesting idea, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, why not? If, mm-hmm. if it's this like very insular kind of system yeah. working to get that, then yeah. like bust it open. You get to make yeah. the rules. You're on the board. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, so, but now what, yeah. I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think a easy thing too would be something on the website about like, cause there is nothing in, and they're about it. And I think for somebody who's intimidated by the aspect, cause like I really want to be on a board mm-hmm. um, because I want to run a craft school someday. Oop, said it. Or be like <laughs> a Leslie Noel, who's the director of programs at Penland. Like those are my dream jobs. And I ah. feel like to get those experiences and get yeah. in to understand what that job truly entails, yeah. I need to be on boards of yeah. similar or organizations yeah. yeah i could i could mm-hmm. run with that for a minute because i think one of the things you talked about is so far we've only talked about what you do for the board but maybe i could yeah. shift it a little bit to talk about what it does for you to be on a board yeah and so i'll st- i'll go back to haystack and so i think partly um you know it, it's really exciting to be in a in a in a meeting for two and a half days at haystack um, which it's a pretty intense event with this really interesting group of people. That's a mixed group of artists and people that do other things that might have expertise in, you know, publicity and marketing and finance, the financial side of things. I learned a lot from participating in that group. One thing that I specifically carry forward from the experience at Haystack is we had a couple of major fundraising drives and um, I'd never done any fundraising or asked anybody for money and it was pretty intimidating, but they actually had a consultant come in and work with the board. And um, the one thing that's really stuck with me over the years that's made it easier for me to do the kind of fundraising that one, one is asked to do when you're on a board is this notion that you're not asking when you reach out to someone and ask them to support the organization, you're not asking them to give you money that you're going to put in your bank account. You're asking them to support an organization that you believe in. And right. so um, it's, and, and so that what's important when you make that outreach is to um, in, indicate why you're working with this organization, why you care about Haystack, why you care about the American Craft Council, and that people will respond really positively to that. And it's true. And when we have, you know, in turn did that, and there's lots of different ways that you're asked to work on the development side of things. It's very rewarding and nobody bites your head off because you're not asking them to give money to you. You're asking them to support this really cool, interesting organization. So nobody slams the phone down on you. It's not that sort of situation. And it's a much more positive experience than I was thinking it would be. And I've kind of carried that forward. That was back in the 1980s. And so it's made me a lot more comfortable with that notion of asking for support for organizations you believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing is just a, gen- just a general thing. And that is I've found working on these boards. And I also, cause I was, I taught for 30 years at UW Madison and I did a lot of administrative work. I just have found that when you're working, as you get higher up in these organizations, you're working with in- tremendously competent and skilled people. And there's a lot to learn just from the people that you're watching, how they act in the meeting and the expertise that they bring and the way that they think about things. It's re- it was really helpful. And I learned a lot just from watching and observing. And also, you know, learning how to speak and contribute in those meetings in appropriate ways um, was, yeah. was really helpful. Um, and then I think just sort of learning more about the structure of an organization. And I, I would say maybe one way, one um, analogy, it's sort of like opening the hood and seeing what's under the hood of an organization. I mean, yeah. a place like Haystack or the American Crowd Council, they have these websites, they put out these catalogs, they put out the magazine. But what's going on behind the scenes? You get to see that. You get to see the budget. Mm-hmm. I so I, when I went on the ACC board, an area of expertise I really did not have is the mark, you know, the craft fairs. I'd never really done craft fairs. I'd been to a couple of them, but I, that's a big part of what the ACC does. And you learn, you know, that half pre-COVID, half of the budget for the American Craft Council approximately came through the various um, craft fairs. Right. And that's something, you know, I didn't know that and sort of learning the details of what's under the hood of the ACC and how could things be shifted 
um, what what direction should the organization be moving? And then I think the you know I said it before, but I'll say it again. I think the most important thing that you can get is the opportunity to have a voice in the future directions of the organization. Boards right. tend to do a lot of they tend to fairly frequently do strategic planning sessions where they think about the organization moving forward. And it mm -hmm. can be, you know, ponderous and time consuming. Sometimes boards will bring in a facilitator. Um, and my experience is they're usually pretty good. But what the value of that strategic planning is it lets you have a voice in where that organization is going. And these organizations all need to be always changing all the time going forward because right. the world is changing. And so I think that one of the things you can get is the opportunity to be influential on that. So when you're looking at what committee are you on, Tom? I forget. Okay. So on the, um, on the American craft council, I wasn't quite sure how I could best contribute. I wanted yeah. to be on the board because I wanted to move it in that direction of getting, making it a place that younger makers felt like they should be engaged with. Right. And I wasn't quite sure how I could be the most useful. And I kind of evolved into being the chair of the awards committee and that's partly oh. uh, partly from work i worked with bruce pepich the um, director of the racine art museum he was the chair and he sort of pulled me onto the committee to be his understudy for a cycle or two it's a it's a two-year cycle so i sort mm -hmm. of watched how things worked for a couple of cycles and then he stepped off the board he reached the end of his um, terms and so I took it over and I ran the most recent cycle, which has been made public. The awards ceremony is on September 15th to the current group. And I've really liked working on the awards program. I think it's a, re a really good program. Um, mm -hmm. it has, it's a little bit tricky because the award winners do tend to be people with um, more with they're the, the people that have are more late career artists. So right. it's been sort of interesting to think, you know, how, but I do think the ACC has also done some really good things with emerging artist cohorts. I think they just in the last week or two announced a new emerging artist cohort. I'm re I really like that program. So I'm working on the awards committee and okay. trying to make it sort of more transparent and comprehensible how it works, the, the way the decisions are made and, and so forth. So I have a lot of thoughts. Yeah. I might forget some, but hopefully I get to all of them. Okay. First of all, I do think about that because when you're comprising a board, if you're on the nominations committee, you do need to bring in all these skill sets. Like I'm, you have to have like a real accountant on the board, right? Yeah. Like you have a lawyer, you have, et cetera. Did you find that intimidating coming into it? Um, in terms of like your skill set and what you could bring to the table at all? No, I loved it no? because that's what that's where you learn. I mean, you you watch yeah. how people like how do the financially savvy people how do they ask questions of the executive director? How do they dissect the budget? You know, how do they go through that complicated spreadsheet that I don't really understand? And how do they pick out certain things that are important and make suggestions? Um, mm -hmm. How do you? Uh, um, both organizations have endowments. And, right. and so the endowment is a pool of money that sits uh, sort of off to the side and generates a certain amount of income every year, which can go towards supporting the organization. How, how do you manage the endowment? That's all really um, interesting to learn, learn about. Yeah. Um, I would totally sit next to the accountant on the board. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if you got to pick like who you're going to, I want to work with that guy. Yeah. But yeah. I do think it's really interesting because if you get a board that the makeup of it kind of shifts in one way too far, like if American craft got too artist focused on the board yeah. and you don't have enough of the people that are like, I have an MBA and this yeah. is what I think. But I'm sure that the structure is set up in such a way that that would never happen because you do need to have that mixture of people with very relevant experience of leading the direction of a board and those who are very enthusiastic and have the energy and time to put towards it, but not, not have as much know-how. 
Yes. Does that make sense? I, there is a nice sheet of the current ACC board that sort of show, lists all the board members and then afterward their particular areas of expertise. You know, it's of course, it's mm. somewhat fuzzy, but it's really interesting to look at it. And you're not expected to be an expert in everything. You can't be. You, you bring what your strengths are. And maybe yeah. it's just a, a questioning attitude and a saying, look, this organization is, you know, uh, uh, old, is out of date and stuck in the mud in this area and needs to change. Um, and so that's really constructive. That's a huge skill set to bring to the board. But I don't think anybody should be intimidated about what they would bring to a board. Do you think that the board would actually consider somebody that might be still in undergrad or grad school? Or where do you think is that sweet spot where you're getting that quote unquote younger person? Yeah. yeah. But where that's emerging. Yeah. The student, you know? Yeah. Because I'm 37 I and I, I already feel young. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't know. Um, I know that the fern. So I know a little bit about the Furniture Society. Um, mm -hmm. I've, I've been. In, I haven't ever been on the board, but the Furniture Society has student members from various oh. programs, and I think it's really, really cool. Like on the board, they have student members. Yeah, student members on, on the board. Yes. Okay. And so when I was a faculty, I was involved in you know identifying a student at UW that wanted to be on the. Furniture Society board. It worked. I think it's really a good thing. I mean, I don't know what the yeah. director of the Furniture Society thinks, but I thought it was really cool, and I really mm -hmm. liked being sitting in on. I did sit in on some meetings where the student reps were there. I think it was really good. Um, so why does it work at the Furniture Society, and why does it not happen? I don't know. It's a really interesting question. I yeah. mean, maybe the ACT just hasn't thought about yeah. doing that. You yeah. know, I think yeah. that's a very yeah. You know. Okay. I'm adding that to my list. <laughs> this is great. I mean, I'm getting to put all my, <laughs> I got one-on-one -on -one with a board member. Guys, this is fantastic. Tom, you know what we should do maybe is like put out questions or ask people for questions that they wanted to ask a board member. And we could do like a, um, like a bonus episode with you where we get to ask all the ideas. Oh, well, you know, I was thinking, I was thinking that I was going to say at some point, people can find me really easily on Instagram or on my website and send me an email. And if people yeah. had specific questions, I don't mind if people contact me directly um, yeah, and, 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 and follow up with thoughts or ideas or, que or questions. That's fine. And if you've yeah. got any questions that need a follow up discussion, we can get online again. Totally. Cause it can be really intimidating. I mean, I remember being at Penland and the board is there and I was really as a core fellow, I was intimidated to talk to them or approach them, yeah. although everybody was like, oh, you should try to connect with the board members and et cetera. And I was like, I don't have anything to say to them. Like, I haven't washed my hair in five days. Nice to meet you. Um, but if you think, but that's it, but yeah, you shouldn't do that because you should think about it in a different way through a different filter. You should think about the board member and what the board member wants is they, if, say you're a Penland board member, you want to hear from people that are experiencing Penland on a day-to-day -day basis what's working and what isn't working. So you're incredibly valuable to that board member. That's the filter you should look at it through. Right. I mean, you're a part of that organization and they're a board member on a nonprofit. They're kind of working for you. Right. But you have a perspective that they don't have. The board members come to meetings. They're not, they're not generally experiencing what's it like to sit in a, in a Penland workshop and eat in the right. dining hall and so socialize in the evening. So yeah. you're valuable to that board member. You shouldn't be intimidated. They're well, nice I've, <laughs> I have learned a lot since that time. In fact, I was just at Penland and went to dinner with a board member and took yeah. that opportunity to tell them things I wanted to say. Yeah. Um, so I have learned a lot since then, but I think, um, we can get so far from those year, those first intimidating years that we yeah. forget how that experience sure. could be for other people. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Tom, I'm trying to think of other things I wanted to ask. So you don't get paid. No one gets paid. Uh, you sometimes get reimbursed for travel expenses. Everything's on zoom. I'm trying to figure out what other questions. Well, let's think about it for you. When you first actually, you're an academic. So I think everybody's intentions coming into a board are different, right? Like you obviously care about it, but some people want to be on boards because they have to have access service or et cetera. The, because say that again, because 
Because they have to have access service. Like I know my friends who have tenure track positions. Um, oh, that's a lousy idea to go on a board. <laughs> oh, you I mean, mean because you're an academic and you have to do service? No. Well, I mean, that was like one thing that came to mind because I know that that's something I've heard before. Yeah. No, but yes, you're right. Academics are expected to have a certain service, but you get better. You're like, it's ridiculous. If you should choose service that you care about where you're, where you, the time that you put in is that is, um, you know, accomplishing and moving, accomplishing goals that you have. Um, right. You should ne never do any of this just because you're trying to add a line to your CV. That would be a terrible reason to go on a board. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I want to do it so I can get that experience to get yeah. my dream job someday. Yeah, but, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, but I'm still torn because I want to be paid for it. You want to be no matter paid what. for it. Yeah, I just want to I be paid for all my time. Yeah, but no, that's a really good thing. And I, I, you know, I think well, one thing that's interesting is I think there is a, you know, the, I don't know if tension is the right word, but even among the artists that are on the ACC board, there is a split between the people that might come from a more academic side where they're associated with a university and they're teaching. And then there's also a significant group on the ACC board that are um, artists that exhibit in the craft fairs and that right. have a very different way of sort of analyzing the, what the need, where, where the ACC should be going. And so that's, oh, an, yeah. that's an interesting um, tension. I mean, I think it's a constructive tension um, but wait, where did that uh, yeah. come from? Because I was bringing that up for a reason, but then I lost track of it. Uh, well, I mean, I just made the comment that I really want this experience, but I oh, also I want to be paid for oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think the other the other thing is um, that the world works partly through networking and meeting people and talking to people and learning from other people. And then often those people are then in situations where they might invite you to participate in an exhibition or or a think tank or a panel or right. and and so networking is part of what we do as as artists and meeting people and i would just suggest that boards are are a place where you can meet interesting people um and that's you know but, I, but oh yeah and do know what it was i love that you said you want to be paid for all of your time i think yeah. that's really good and so i think the reason i brought up the thing about the craft the craft fair, the uh, marketplace artists, is that I think it is, um, you know, in a way that that those artists and makers that are supporting themselves from their work, you know, they deserve so much admiration and credit for doing that. And I think a lot of those people do need to have that attitude of my time needs to be compensated for. And that's a, that's a good thing. And, but it may be that what you get out of being on the board, it may not be financial dollars in your pocket. It may be partly networking and connections and education and learning things. Right. Um, and you did, would just have to decide if that's worthwhile or if it's more important that you're getting paid by the, you're getting, you're earning dollars per hour. Right. It's like a top tier internship. Uh, that's interesting. Is it a top tier internship? <laughs> no, but like yeah, if you, I mean, for like a younger person with lack of experience, it yeah, could be. It's an educational experience. It's definitely an educational yeah. experience. I mean, uh, you know, with the, um, yeah. So to wrap up, because we should probably wrap up shortly, um, a few questions. How long do you get to be on a board? Because it seems like something yeah. that should definitely turn over. Yeah. I think that Hey Second ACC were the same. You'd serve three-year terms and you can serve up to three three-year terms. So at the end of, so this is interesting. So you serve an initial three-year term and we are asked to do a, a tr our self-evaluation of our effectiveness as trustees every, every year we write that up. And so it's a, oh, wow. it's, um, which is good. It's, you know, self-reflection, what you, where you could do more, where you've been useful, where you've been useless. Um, <laughs> and, um, but then also at the end of the third year, you would have to decide, is it a good fit? Should I do another three-year term or is that term good enough? And you can do it at the end of six years and decide if you want to do nine years. And then at the end of nine years, yes, you have to leave the board. There oh, are yeah. some cases where people go off the board and for a certain period of time and then come back on. Some people have just, you know, they're mm -hmm. lifelong committed to the ACC. They care so much about it. I don't think it's the case. I don't know. 
it's not very many people, but there is a nine year limit um, mm -hmm. of, of time on the board. So I believe I started on the, on the ACC board in 2019. I think I'm at the beginning of my second three year term and um, I'll keep going. Did those have, did the three years, I mean, did you, I'm confused. Do you have to do each three-year term consecutively, or could you do two, three years, take a break, come back, do three more? I suppose you could do that. Yeah, yeah, you could do that. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, and so I will keep going as long as I'm feeling useful. But I do, I yeah. do think there's this sort of um, uh, there is the this sort of I'm you know I'm retired. I'm an older white guy, and there's this sort of thing when I am asked to do things now in the field serve on committees so forth one of the things i've been doing more often is saying are you sure you really want me um it could because i think one way to think about it is really people like me should be replacing ourselves with our polar opposite in every way by every definition and so um I think maybe my job is to make myself redundant on the ACC board by finding other, by replacing me with people that are very different from me. Um, so that's sort of one of the criteria I'm going to use when I decide about how much longer I want to serve. I like that. Thanks for being, that's some nice self-awareness you got going on there. Yeah, I think, I mean, I do think the hardest challenge has been for the boards to, um, to keep, the diversity on the boards it's been you know the the people that are passionate and involved and um really driven to uh, push for change in these organizations i think it's been frustrating for s some of them and there has been some attrition uh, mm -hmm. on the board i think the board just has to keep trying and keep working and keep bringing people in and looking for people with a really good fit. Yeah. And I think there's also something about having a little bit of tenderness with oneself about that kind of thing, because uh, lack of diversity doesn't happen overnight. Like this is an issue that has grown yeah. over years is systemic. Yeah. So to expect that all of a sudden you can just fix this problem yeah, or it's not that simple because you also have nine year, potentially nine year terms. So yep. if the board still makes up like a similar makeup in 20 years, that's pretty bad. But yep. right now, if you're acknowledging it, you're having honest, transparent conversations with people like me. Thank you very much, Tom. Then yep. you're obviously open to trying to get that work done. But I think boards can change pretty quickly. I mean, we bring people don't necessarily stay for their full three-year term. People um, step off the board. New people come in. It's not a, It's not like a. Um, you know, it's not like a yacht club or something like that. <laughs> it's a quite yeah. a dynamic organization. Every time I go to a meeting, there's new people to meet and t talk to, and so I think it can change quite quite rapidly. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not a, it's not a, um, you know, a so social club where the men smoke cigars in the room after dinner. It's more, it's much more dynamic than that. And I think that people can, should think that they can have an influence pretty quickly. So the one, th the last question I have for you or topic I wanted to bring up to is a lot of times when you are part of an organization, you can be like, oh, this is wrong with it. And I don't like this aspect and whatever. It's easy to kind of go off on tangents, but to create change, you have to speak up and like put forth ideas to affect that change. Um, you are open to having listeners reach out to you, but if the listener went to American Craft Council's website and they clicked on the board, um, do you think it would be weird if they like, if you're wanting some kind of change within the organization to just reach out and I don't know, is that called lobbying <laughs> to like reach yeah. out to every board member and be like, Hey, I think this is a really important thing. Yeah. And I want you to listen to my point of view on this. So you're saying uh, short of becoming a board member, are there ways you can influence the board? Right. That's what, that's what you're pointing. I would say yeah. absolutely. And, and, you know, look at that list and maybe, you know, somebody or have some right. contact with somebody and yes, absolutely. Talk to them, lobby them, tell them what's important. And if you don't know anybody, yeah, I mean, no, nobody, nobody would have, 
I can't imagine. I wouldn't object to somebody, you know, expressing their opinion. You can, um, yeah, I think. Yeah, I really never thought of just going straight to the board and being like, hey, I mean, full transparency, listeners, a big conversation I've had with you is that I helped launch the American Craft Podcast. I feel very strongly the American Craft Council should have a podcast. Yeah. Um, You're the only board member I've actually talked to about it. Yeah. So I should probably start lobbying other board members. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but so pre-COVID, the ACC, you know, it's been a sort of, it's public face has been the magazine. But so right. even pre-COVID, and, you know, what field would you not necessarily want to be have all your eggs in at the moment? It's publishing, right? I mean, old school right. text publishing. And so pre-COVID, ACC already knew that it had to shift um, the way it puts itself out there in the world. And a positive side of the whole COVID thing has been sort of making things change more quickly and so that's really where the ACC is at right now and so because and so people with a different relationship to how they receive and consume their um, information need to be having a voice in what the ACC does next and how it puts itself out there in in the world that's the most that's the most important transition that's happening right Okay. Tom, is there anything we didn't touch on or anything you want to add to our conversation? Oh, I made a few notes. Oh, Um, listeners, he has notes. Okay. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I think we've touched on a lot of things. Um, I think you should work with organizations that you have a personal connection to. I The reason I got involved in, with Haystack first is um, I got, basically finished my undergraduate training at Boston University in 82. And then I set up a woodworking shop in Cambridge, Mass., which is where I grew up, which is where I'm from, 82. And then in um, 87, Haystack invited me to teach a workshop. Um, and so that was my first, the, that was the first place that had given me that opportunity. And I, you know, I was totally intimidated and nervous, but, um, but then I got to go up there and teach a workshop and it was like, wow, this place is incredible. And so I, that, I really did have that personal connection to the organization. So I taught in 87 and then they actually invited me to join the board in 88. And, uh, but <laughs> yeah. So I think that personal having a personal to, connection to the organization, something that you're passionate about, makes it makes it all worthwhile. And it could be as like, like be me being on the board of the Furniture Society wouldn't necessarily be too much of a stretch because I am so passionate about the craft community. So right. I know the Furniture Society. I'm not a woodworker. I don't make furniture. But I do know a lot of people that do, and I am passionate about their community right. and the greater craft community. Right. So there's, I mean, you know, my perception as I've, you know, my perception over the years is I I just feel like this is a transition moment in the craft field and that there is a younger generation of which you're a representative that is sort of defining and figuring out what is, what is the field going to be going forward. And there's a, there's so many interesting voices and those voices need to populate the organizations. I mean, some people are starting new organizations, right? There's mm-hmm. so many interesting new organizations that are trying trying to do do what figure out where the craft field needs to go in so many different ways. And and I don't know. I like to think of it as larger than the craft field, just the the field of makers and artists. And uh, so, I mean, that's one thing is to work with some of the newer organizations as opposed to the more established ones like the American Craft Council. Um, yeah. Crafting the Future. I donate Crafting to them, the Future is a, per- is a perfect example. I know that's probably what was yeah. in my head when I was saying that a second ago. Yeah, they're pretty amazing. Yeah. Tom, this has been so insightful. Yeah, like, it's fun to talk with you. <laughs> I feel like I learned so much. I mean, so, I did some research, but I definitely feel since meeting you that I now have a better understanding of what a board is. It's cool. not this like weird room of men in suits on Wall Street. <laughs> now you're making me want to go look up what the actual definitions are. <laughs> yeah, you should do a little like research, yeah. whatever. It's kind of yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for thank being you. on the podcast. Yeah. Okay. And- let's- 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what were you going to say? What was I going to say? Well, I was... Um, I think people, I just wanted to encourage people to go listen to the sequence of podcasts that you did for American Craft. I, I listened to them all. It was a really interesting structure that started with a curator identifying a piece of work and then you interviewing the artists that made the piece of work. And then so really to make the experience work, you had to go online and look at the image of the work to see, see the piece. Um, but it's a really interesting. I listened to all, all of them in my studio while I was doing other things. It was great. Aw, Tom, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was the perfect way to kind of to have a physical publication and how the podcast ties into it is you have to look at the the publication to really get the full understanding of our conversation. Yeah. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tom. Okay. Listeners, this has been another episode of Proceed Value, the podcast broaching the subject of value with artists, creatives, board members, etc. As always, thank you for listening. Proceed Value is a podcast recorded and produced by me, Sarah Rachel Brown. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as at Proceed Value. Stream us directly from our website at perceivedvaluedpodcast.com or listen on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Just don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks for listening.